This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 11 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hunter, how are you doing today? Grant, I am so excited. It's been another wonderful week of baseball. Excited to get back and chat with my man Grant Brisby, yourself, and uh, excited to listen to you a little bit this week. You know, because I think there's been some some interesting things that you've kind of, you know, mumbled here and there that we haven't really highlighted that are like starting to peek their heads out. And uh, so I'm excited to be here. I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing very well, very well. And so this is that that part where we're humming along, we're watching baseball, we're having fun, we're just watching the game. It's it's a fun game. We devoted our lives to it. And now there's controversy, right? And so now there's a sticky situation, literally, figuratively, around the league. And everyone is talking about pitchers using foreign substances to get a better grip on the ball. So we have to address it. We have to come from a player's perspective, kind of pick your brain. And we have to talk about what in the heck is going on. Because to me, before the season, it was like a non-story. The, the story was that everyone's doing it. Everyone sort of knows it's a wink-wink situation. And now it's it's blown up into this scandal controversy thing, which I was not expecting before the season. So you have thoughts. What are your thoughts? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts and I have, I have questions too. First off, like what is MLB's exact like reason? Why are they going after this? What are they looking for exactly? Because... There's so much. This is deeper than just like foreign substances or or sticky or whatever because there's a lot to do with it. It's almost going to be impossible to completely erase. I'm going to say that like and I'll get to the deeper details, but I want to hear like MLB's reason, like what they're saying. You know, obviously there's some new system. So I just want to hear kind of what has been the talk because I haven't been listening to that. I've just been following the teams, the scores, the box scores and all all the stuff that I enjoy. So I just want to hear what's the buzz? What's your thoughts on it as as a fan? It's weird. It, it all of a sudden it doesn't feel like manufactured controversy isn't the right word for it, but it does seem deliberate and I'm not sure why. In the old days it was a rosin, it was sunscreen, it was, you know, whatever you had on, you were creative stuff like that. And now there are like actual chemists working on, you know, stuff that pro powerlifters use, stuff that you can have a cinder block hanging from your hand, like stuff I just can't go to CVS and buy. Like that is the stuff that is being used a lot now. And has baseball decided, oh, well, that's too far. Now we got to cross the line. Now, you know, it's it's really offense is down. We got to figure this out. Or I don't know, like, how is it just all of a sudden the biggest of the big deal? Is it the the effectiveness of the substances? 
You know what? Maybe that's what it is when I hear you say that, because you, you brought up at the very beginning of that, you said, you know, rosin and sunscreen, which is like you're sweating and you get grip from that. You can get grip from like so many things like cough drops. But when, you know, and I do think that maybe it has come to where there's like chemists that are going in and they're, they're, they're mastering the whole spin rate thing since that's become a thing. And, you know, maybe some of these substances are invisible. And, you know, I, I think of it like sometimes you watch like wide receivers gloves and you see the ball just like stick to their hand. Is that like their hands have suction cups or is there like some kind of invisible sticky or the referees going over all of that? I don't know. I don't never played football, but I, I definitely am impressed with a lot of uh, those gloves and how they catch the ball. But they are also like crazy good at it. So maybe that's what it is because I do think that there is more science to it. I do think that they're being able to do like some amazing stuff with the science of baseball and the science of this. But how are you going to actually find this invisible substance? And at the end of the day, like you can get hair gel. You know, most pitchers, if you watch them every almost every ball they get, like especially like really good pitchers, like they'll grow like a fingernail really long or something. And, you know, they'll rub the ball really hard and make sure they get the seams wherever they want it. It's part of the craft. The craft of pitching is deception. And it's going to make it where if you have this invisible, like hyper sticky and they go and test you, they're going to find it. But if you have like... You know, to me, it's like rosin and sunscreen is going to give you grip where, you know, you're sweating and you're the ball, you're throwing 100 miles an hour. The ball's not just going to slip right out of your hands because like me as a hitter, I wanted them to have grip on the ball. I didn't I wanted them to know where the ball is going. And I think that's what like most of the grip does for these guys until, like you said, like when you bring up the chemist and them like getting like hyper spin rate growth because like all pitchers are studying how can I improve my spin rate because this is what deception is so there's just so much to it that it's like really tough to figure out like what are they attacking how are they going to attack it and like you know I want the pitcher to have grip on the ball so that he knows where it's going because that's the game of cat and mouse that I want to play does that make sense to you at all Grant? Absolutely. No, I was going to ask you about that if you didn't bring it up, because I remember reading a quote and I can't remember who, who it was from, but they said, look, I want these pitchers to have better command of their release point. I want these pitchers to, if they're going to pitch inside, have confidence that they're going to put it where they want it without having it slip out of their hands. Now, is there a tipping point where they're increasing the, the spin rate so much to make a, a 98 mile per hour four seamer seem like a wiffle ball or something? You know, like it, a four seamer act like a two seamer? I mean, that's... That, that's a different story. But overall, like you want pitchers to have some sort of substance to get that ball out of their hands the way that they want it. Do you think that it's a possibility that there is just one universal substance that MLB you know, settles on and says, here it is, here are buckets of it. This is the one, anything above that, no go, but this is the league-wide sanctioned substance. I think it's a slippery slope and uh, you know, cause there's, <laughs> there's so many ways to manipulate the baseball. And like I said, there's like hair gels, you can get slippery stuff there. There's just so many like invisible and like easy things to do that. It's just like, it's going to be super tough to mandate. And like at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of money on the line. There's a like, there's a lot of stress on the line. So there's just going to be so many things happening there, but Maybe we do call like a bout like because, you know, hitters get to use pine tar to make sure they grip the bat and that adds safety to the game. So we're not like throwing it into the stands. And I mean, is it a performance enhancer? I don't know. But I, I do think, you know, that gripping the bat definitely helps your performance. But me personally, like I said, there are pitchers that, you know, that will have the so much sticky in their hand that they can like hold their hand out and the ball, you know, will just like hang like you can just like 
hold the ball with your hand. So what does that actually do for them? I don't know. I, I guess it adds some spin rate. But I thought that that was, you know, part of the – not necessarily like, oh, I want everyone to, like, do this and whatever, like cut the ball and make it – a all of a sudden now the baseball is a wiffle ball or sandpaper and whatnot. And, you know, all sorts of things have happened. So it's, it's definitely a, a challenging thing that baseball's got, like – you know, obviously they've made their decision and they're going in this direction. But I never am like going off on some pitcher that, oh, he did this or did that. And I wanted them to have grip. You know, it's part of the fun is how nasty some of their stuff is. And you can find a way to hit all of it. And I just wanted them to know where the ball was going. I wanted to feel safe in there and, and enjoy the com- competition of hitter versus batter. And I think when they know where the ball is going and, you know, they can ramp up and throw it as hard as they want, you can hit it. Yeah, they're going to have good numbers, but they're going to get hit. Every every pitcher has an ERA, even even Degrom with one of the most dominant, you know, first couple of starts still has. It's not a whole one ERA, but he's still giving <laughs> up some runs. Oh, every eighteen innings he gives up one run every time. No, that, I did, but it, so that's like the the theory of Hunter Pence, right? That I can hit anyone. You come at me, bro. Basically, is, is well, they can get me out. Like, Almost anyone can get me out too. That's like hitting sure. is very tough. Like they're gonna get me out more than I can hit them. But I want them to know where the ball is going. I I get to you know like you have an idea of their movement. That's the count and mouse game that I want to play. I don't want to play a game where this guy's just throwing it as hard as he can, has no grip, and the ball's just flying everywhere. And you're more like you're mainly dodging and just like there's pitchers that, you know, a lot, a lot of times it's young pitchers that haven't learned how to use the sticky or whatever. Or even like because the ball in the major leagues is so much different than a minor league ball, the seams are different. I will say this, that I didn't even know what a sinker was when I was in the minor leagues. Everyone talked about a sinker. And I was just like, what is a sinker? They're all just fastballs. And then I got to the big leagues and I found out what a sinker was because the big league ball moves so much more than than any other ball I had ever seen just because the seams are actually a lot tighter to the ball. And so like, like college balls and then even the minor leagues balls, the seams kind of pop up a little more. And you would think that that made the ball move more. But for whatever reason, this tighter ball in the majors, like it takes off and you definitely recognize movement. It's hard to throw that thing straight. You've said that you don't mind, hey, load up, do your thing. What about other players that you've played with, other hitters, teammates? Have you heard uh, some teammates grumble like, oh, God, that guy's loaded up. That guy is doing this to the ball. Is it a thing that happens in the dugout or clubhouse or is it just kind of manufactured? I remember a story playing against Chipper and Chipper laughing after uh, facing a pitcher that he knew and was friends with and was like, yeah, you threw me that cheater ball and just like laughing with him about it, you know, like, you know, like that one was moving a lot. What the heck did you do to that thing? You know, like, I don't, I mean, I can't speak for every hitter, you know, maybe some of them do take offense to it. I want the pitcher to know where it's going. I don't know what hitters says, you know what, like, no, don't get a, a decent grip on the ball and uh, you know, there's a balance to everything, right? There's there's a crossing of the line, and how do you how do you navigate that balance? You know, life is a tough balance uh, in and of itself. So, my main thoughts is that like no matter what rules or how they mandate it, pitching is deception. These pitchers are going to find a way to get a grip. They need to. I don't think it's as big a deal as everyone's making it out to be. Other than it's like we do need to find a solution for this drama that we've started. Right. I do think that it's it's a lot of the problem is top down. It's just uh, Major League Baseball figuring that the right policy is wink, wink. And after a while, for whatever reason, wink, wink, and just assuming that everyone knew that it was kind of sort of okay, not really wink, wink, it's not working. So now they've got to scramble and figure out, okay, how do we quell this controversy? 
I don't know. I, I grew up in the 80s watching This Week in Baseball where you had, uh, you know, a 40-something Gaylord Perry going to his hat, going to his arms, going, you know, and it was like, it was fun. You had Joe Necro pulling the emery board out of his, or the sandpaper out of his back pocket and, and going, what? Not me. You know, it was like, <laughs> that was part of the, the cat and mouse game of baseball. And I don't necessarily want to see every pitcher do it, but I also don't think it's like, you know, a sin against the game. I think it's a part of the game to sort of like get these little advantages. And if you get caught, if you get, you know, a ball stuck to your hat because you got so much loaded up, okay, you got me, you know, here's the penalty. But I I don't know. I think it's part of the game from this side. I know when I was young and I hadn't really thought about it, like I would like see like you see someone's hat and it's like white with like all sorts of stuff. And you're like, what is that? And then and then you realize that like it makes the game more fun when they know where it's going and like you're having these battles. So and like you said, I do have that memory of the guy who like went into his back pocket and threw the thing out and it was funny. And, you know, there's dramas to these sorts of things, but there's going to have stuff in there. You know, you never know where like belt, hat, hair, what you know, like it's just like. So be it, like master your craft and you have to throw the ball over the plate. You know, that's the game, no matter what it's doing or how it's moving. And there's so much video out there that you can kind of, you get to plan appropriately to what the pitcher's doing, no matter what he's figured out how to do with the ball. I think a lot of the timing of this has to do with, in general, how baseball is played uh, these days. And by that, I mean that the league average right now is 237, right? There just aren't a ton of balls in play. Strikeouts are through the roof. That's by design with just almost every team in baseball. Their offensive philosophy is like, don't worry about the strikeout. You know, it's it, if it's not in play, it's not a double play and you have a better chance of, of getting it over the fence. You know, so... Is there like an offensive problem that baseball needs to deal with? Is the, is the game less fun because you have fewer balls in play? Or is everything just sort of humming along fine? Because I, I don't know, I kind of like the way baseball's played now. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, uh, it seems like it's like really, uh, really tough to like please baseball or, or whatever. It's like first it's like, oh, we have too many home runs. Oh, we have too many no hitters. Oh, we have too like, I mean, it's just like the game is the game. Sometimes there's blowouts. Sometimes like the wind is going to change this. The weather is going to change this. And honestly, I prefer and I love like before they changed the stadium and got rid of the wind tunnels, it played like a really, really tight. The wind blew in so hard. There were so few homers hit there. And it was like anything in the air was basically an out. I liked the tight games and I liked playing in them. Every little detail mattered. Base run really mattered and it's a lot more drama a lot of times it's hard to focus on a game where in my opinion where there's you know th- you know you go to Colorado and, and a lot of the games you, you know is like 13 to 11 and 10 to whatever 15 and to me I, I prefer you know like seven runs ish should be like what a game is like you score four runs you should win you, you hold them to three that's kind of the goal the old school goal so I think that in that range, like every at bat and every hit becomes a huge celebration. There's a lot of drama and a lot of tightness and the little plays and making the defensive plays. It's like old school baseball. Yeah. The reason you're in San Francisco right now is because the 2012 Giants were dead last in the National League in home runs. They needed power. They went out and they decided that they were going to trade for an outfielder. And lo and behold, it was Hunter Pence. And they still won the World Series. And it was, you know, it was proof back then that how different the game was. And then offense cratered even more. Like offense after 2012, it became harder to score runs. And so baseball naturally just sort of swings between these extremes. It wasn't that long ago when teams, you know, were having trouble scoring runs at all. And it in a very different way. So 
I don't know. I think you have to let the swings come naturally in baseball. You just know that they're going to happen. And when all of a sudden offense is up, offense is boosted, teams will figure out a way, okay, how do we get it down? And it's going to be this cyclical thing. I don't think you necessarily have to start moving the mound back or raising or lowering the mound. I just don't agree with that at all. Yeah, I think it's pretty healthy to, to have these swings and to watch it. And we're still seeing like quite a few home runs. What is the runs per game? I know you're saying the average is down, but are the runs per game down a whole bunch? The runs per game is, I don't think that they're down because let's see, you have in the the league today, 4.38 per game, which is, that's the major league average among all 30 teams. The year before that, you had 4.65. So it's, it's basically what you're saying. Uh, if I go back to like 2000, which was, you know, the peak of the Mitchell Report era, you had, I know Colorado it was bonkers back then. You had the team scoring about five runs per game. So it's like, yes, you know, it it swings and you have high offense errors and you have lower offense errors, but it's rare to have like, okay, you know, 1968, you know, teams are scoring like two runs a game. That doesn't happen that often anymore. Maybe if you get to such an extreme, you start playing with the mound like they did in 1968. But in general, it's just, you know, four runs a game, five runs a game, maybe a little above, maybe a little below. That's sort of the swing. It seems like it's it's pretty healthy in that in that range. Like if you start getting to two runs per game, then I would get worried. But as long as it's it's somewhere between three and five runs per game, uh, I think you're doing fine. Yeah, I mean, 1968 is always one of my favorite uh, years to go back and, and take a look at all the stats because that was a year when you know everything was really really broken. You had about three and a half runs, three point four runs per game, and you had some teams like the Mets and the White Sox averaging fewer than three runs. That was the year that Bob Gibson had his famous one point one two ERA. You know, and the league said, okay, that's a little too much, and then they they took the mounds down. At the same time, like I love going back and going to like Willie McCovey stats, right? Because he was so good, so in his prime in 1968, he was still hitting 293 with 36 bombs. And I like that the variance, I like that there is one season of baseball history you can point to and go, that was so different. How did everyone do? And you go and you poke around and go, wow, this team was still scoring. This hitter was still hitting. I don't know. Every so often a freak outlier season works for me. Yeah, it's fun to follow. And, you know, we had all of these like this great massive no hitters we haven't seen one in a couple of weeks feels like forever you know we're waiting <laughs> way too long for this next no hitter but who knows when the next one's gonna be and um it was kind of wild and that's the fun of baseball is like crazy things start happening there was something i was gonna say also that i think is interesting is that not only you know you go back to that 2000 uh whatever numbers but like think about even just the small how big a difference it is that there's two ballparks now that they allow a humidor in So Colorado and Arizona both have a humidor. I know that Texas just built a new stadium that's a lot less hitter friendly. Like the old stadium that they took down, like it was a very hitter friendly ballpark. And the new Texas one is a lot tougher to hit homers. in. so these things kind of factor in for I don't know how much, but a little bit, uh, I would have to say, as far as runs per game and something to to take note of. Now, I just read something. Uh, This was on uh, yesterday uh, from Yahoo. There's now nine ballparks that are using a humidor. It is, let me see if they have a, there's word of three new teams, the Red Sox, the Mariners, the Mets. And these are not like, you know, kaboom ballparks. You're not thinking of, of City Field as like a launching pad, right? You have the Astros, the Marlins, Cardinals, Rangers, and Blue Jays 
you know, you have the humidor is starting to be the home runs are up, up, up in teams are saying, OK, you're going to allow humidors. Let's just get home runs a little bit down, a little bit more manageable here. So it, it is a thing. That's another thing you, you wonder about, like how much does MLB? I would think that this is something that they should pay attention to more than, you know, the sticky stuff is like making sure that the humidor ballparks are, are humidor baseballs both sides. Like, are they 100% sure of that? Because, you know, there's tales of some of those humidor teams, like, because they're the ones that are feeding the balls to the umpire that they're given, you know, this bag for when we're up to bat and this bag for when you're up to bat. You don't know and you don't want to accuse these things, but that's something that I think needs to be made sure of that, you know, like, how do you make sure of that if it's a humidor ballpark? And why, like, I know the Mets stadium, like, they had to bring the fences in because there wasn't enough home runs. And now they want a humidor ball? How did they make that happen? And same with Seattle. Like, that's kind of weird to me that first you want your fences in because there's not enough home runs. And then you want a humidor ball. What's going on there? That's interesting, right? What, 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 do you, what are your thoughts on that? Look, the Marlins being on that list is hilarious to me because my first experience with Marlins Park was it was Miami and it was July and it was the All-Star game and it was just miserable outside. Of course, it's Miami in July. It's hot. It's humid. I'm not used to humidity. I'm a Bay Area boy. And so this weather's like I'm on Mars and it's just the worst stickiest weather and all day I'm walking around in short sleeves and, you know, wishing I could just take my shirt off and go, woo. But like, you know, it's that hot. And then you get into Marlins Park and it's freezing. And it's not just like comfortable. They want to make it an experience like, no, no, come here. We'll chill you out. We'll make everything super, super cold. And so that ballpark is already like, you know, the temperature is down. It is a climate controlled ballpark and it's kind of a big ballpark. You know, this is not a launching pad. This is a, a ballpark that that plays well for the pitcher they're using the humidor like you know as long as they're doing it for both sides that's totally cool it would be the last ballpark that i would have expected to use a, a humidor i would think that every team you know would at least and i don't know like i said how mlb's mandating it but like if you're thinking of like you know the the larusses out there that are always seeking like edge anywhere they can pitchers are looking for edge why not have the humidor ball and if you can make that switch like i would think every team would want to have that control right like hey today we're going to not use the humidor ball because we have xy pitcher versus xy pitcher same with like you know how they talk about the field crew like works the infield do we want longer grass do we want shorter glass grass like if you have the option to have the humidor ball and like choose each game like i don't know the exact rules i would have to look into that and like search it deeper but it seems like if you're an organization, you want to have the option for a humidor ball, no matter whether your ballpark is hitter friendly or not, just because it's an advantage to know which ball you're putting out there. Yeah, not to keep going back to the 60s, but like when Maury Wills came in with the Dodgers, there were there was talk about the Giants ground crew just taking the hose and just, oh, we need a little bit more water around first base. Whoa, it's a swamp now. Oh, that's that's tough. All right, go get a Maury. You know what I mean? Like, as long as you're doing it for both sides, it's it's like the first part of the conversation. It's kind of baseball, this gamesmanship. Yeah, as long as you're making sure that like you're feeding only humidor balls that game or only non-humidor balls. But even if you're like switching it game to game, it's like all normal balls, all humidor balls. It's still like you have that decision. You have that choice of which balls going out there today. Like I said, I don't know the ins and outs of how they manage that, how they you know make sure of it. So it's something to think about that teams could be doing. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying that, like, I didn't like when they started adding this humidor ball. I just want one ball every time. Personally, like, I didn't like the humidor ball stuff. It didn't feel the same every time I went to the different ballparks. 
Really? So you noticed when, when Colorado, I mean, they were the first ones for obvious reasons. So when you got to Colorado and all of a sudden they've got something different going on, you know, you picked up on it right away. Well, Colorado and Arizona, Colorado at first, like when they first started the humidor ball, I don't know if the humidor things get tired or something, but like the same with Arizona, like first season they had the humidor ball, it was like super dead. Cause like every time you went to Arizona, it was like such a hitter friendly ballpark. Like you didn't have to hit the ball very well at all for it to be a double homer. It went so far there in Colorado, but Colorado was super dead the first year of the humidor. And then it like, it wasn't as strong. And same with Arizona, it wasn't quite as strong as it got further along. Um, you're seeing farther and farther home runs hit there. But when they first implemented it, both both uh, of those stadiums, there was a huge difference. I know I hit some balls pretty good that didn't go anywhere. So I don't know. I don't know if the humidor tires out or I, I, like I said, I have no idea. I just I didn't like not knowing and not knowing how much MLB is really checking on that. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When you would go to Colorado, I've always just been fascinated. Like, what is the approach when you go into Colorado? I know we're getting a little bit off track, but as long as we're talking about humidors, I was fascinated by the idea of when Coors Field was just untouched, no humidors. It was just a mile high and you had to deal with it. As a hitter, were you just totally, you know, gung-ho and like, yeah, this is awesome? Or was it exhausting to be in the field and, and with like a six-run lead and going, I don't know if this is going to hold up. Like, was that the right balance or was the humidor a good thing for the Rockies? Like I said, like the first year I noticed it and that was like quite a long time ago. It was like they still had like Ubaldo Jimenez and, you know, a couple of those guys with like good sinkers and stuff. And I noticed it then. But like, honestly, the last couple of years, it hasn't felt like they had a humidor ball at all because the ball was flying there. It's a hitter's ballpark. And, you know, when you go to the field at Coors your chances of having a multi-hit game and getting an extra base hit feels so much higher than anywhere else because there's so much grass. But yeah, you know, as an older player, I never noticed it as a young player. I was just like, yeah, whatever. It's hard to breathe a little bit. But, you know, I just ran and didn't even think about it. As you got older, you felt the pains a little more. It was harder to sleep, all of that. But you still, like as a hitter, when you drive to the field or walk to the field and you have this much higher chance of getting an extra base hit, of having a multi-hit game, you are excited to get there. What about the pitchers? How, how, what are the pitchers? They think? are not happy. They, <laughs> they dread it. They can't stand it. Their ball. And that's the other thing is not only does the ball fly, but the ball doesn't move out of the pitcher's hand as much. So like, let's say like when Otto Vino was with Colorado, when you face Otto Vino in Colorado, it was a very, like, you could follow the slider. You could follow it. You could see everything. And I mean, it's still super nasty because he was super nasty. But then you face him at our park, and it was like this unhittable, extraordinary slider. And like everyone's ball. So everyone's ball just moved a lot less because the air is so much thinner, I guess. And so it doesn't grip the ball. So like sliders and stuff, like you needed to have a cutter and like really little movement. Because it, it like sharp sliders and stuff like a Sergio Romo slider and an Ottavino slider, it just doesn't grip hard enough to have that sharp big break that they get when you have like normal air. So that was another thing about Colorado is it just didn't feel like the pitcher's balls moved as much. But I will say this. I have one more thing about Colorado that if you're like a side army lefty, especially in a day game, you could throw the ball and, and you were out of the batter's eye and it was extraordinarily hard to see. So like lefties and like Bumgarner, like if you came from like kind of the side angle, there was like this weird thing during the day where you could not see the ball. So besides that, it was great to hit there. 
I wrote about the Rockies for uh, Baseball Prospectus uh, two years ago, and it was a, it's sort of like looking back at their history because you think of it like, oh, it's different, you know, but it's, at least it's even. It's not really even because baseball's hard to figure out, right? If you're a front office, baseball is just a hard nut to crack in general. Everyone's working to do the same thing, but the Rockies have extra work to do because those hitters that all of a sudden they have a whole homestand of looking at, uh, for your example, like an Ottavino slider that's just not doing that much, and then they go on the road and all of a sudden, it's like they're on a different planet where pitchers breaking balls are diving and, and zipping. Like, it's another thing they have to figure out on top of what the rest of baseball has to figure out. And they've tried different things. They've tried piggyback starters. They've tried with their hitters. They've tried this and they've tried this approach. And they've tried to build up the bullpen and spend money on the bullpen. They've had sinker ballers. They've had guys who put balls in play. Like, they're trying. They're throwing so much to the wall. It's harder for the Rockies to build like a, a functional baseball team than it is for the other 29 teams. It's definitely different than any of the other teams. And to compare stats of pitchers or hitters at that particular stadium is is kind of wild. It's kind of tough to figure out. And, you know, I don't want to discredit any hitters or even, you know, say anything because it's it's still the big leagues. It's still very tough to hit. And who knows, like. Facing some lefties during the day in Colorado is some of, you know, they do the whole righty lefty thing, but like lefties actually would see lefties better during the day because they, they weren't coming out of this like blind spot. I don't remember it exactly, but I just remember you could not see the ball and it was extraordinarily tough. At night, you were fine. So there's so many variables to like actually get into that. But I do think that keeping hitters healthy because you, you take a lot, a lot more toll on your body to stay healthy in Colorado is one of the toughest things to do. So that's another challenge for hitters uh, that play for Colorado and for them as a, as an organization to, to really master is it's a challenge. Before we move on, one of my favorite things to, to mention, and so I'll mention it here, is, okay, so adjusted ERA, it's a number. They take the park, they take the league, they come up with a number that is 100 is league average. So if you have an ERA plus, an adjusted ERA uh, of 100, you are a league average pitcher, right? In 2000, Masato Yoshii had an ERA plus of 99, which means he's basically right there. He is league average pitcher. You want to guess what his ERA was that year? No idea. Five? Five. 0.86 like 5.86 back in 2000 era Colorado was like oh yeah you're doing a pretty pretty solid job you know what I mean it's like you know the Rockies were over 500 that year but, you know, they had a solid pitching staff if you squinted and looked and said oh okay I get it like they're okay so it's just a funny funny ballpark your confidence just goes up like let's just say like hitting BP and stuff and you just like every day you go out there and you hit BP you know you just tap the ball and it's going like 10 rows deep you don't even have to hit it good. You're like feeling really good. You go and hit it like, you know, back in the day, it was called AT&T. It's now Oracle Park. You hit a ball in the air to right, like as hard as you can. And it's like not even to the warning track because it's just like getting blown in. Like luckily they fixed that now with the whole wind tunnels and stuff. But like mentally I was like a ball in the air to right was just an out. Like don't even, it doesn't even matter how hard you hit it for so many years. It's just like be on top of it to right. Maybe try to pull everything. So like it's a confidence and it's like a, a booster and like even like I said like the pitchers know when they're going to Colorado they are nervous they're like this is tough it's a mental hurdle for pitchers when they go there to get their ball to move to command it not all pitchers but they definitely feel it it was funny because when 
Oracle Park was being built and you were coming from Candlestick and all you had were the plans, right? All you could see is here's what the dimensions were going to look like. The chatter around baseball on the internet was, oh, look at how short that right field porch is. Oh, this is going to be a band box. And the first game there, Kevin Elster for the Dodgers hit three home runs, right? And you're thinking, oh, okay, you know, Doug Mirabelli hits a triple. This place is going to be Coors Field West. And it's funny to think that all of a sudden that played like a Coors field in the other direction. There were some of the most extreme pitchers years, and not just because the pitchers were good, but just offense overall was so far down. It was one of the most extreme ballparks in history. So it's funny how the original perception was. And that's kind of what you, when you look at it, it does seem very small. And and now it's, I what's it playing? It's probably league average now. It's definitely felt better the last couple of years hitting there. Last year was uh, closer to league average, but this year, like the park factors are still down a little bit, but you know, it, it's closer to league average. There were years back in the, the 2000s where it played league average too, so that even that can be cyclical, but I do think that, you know, bringing it in just a little bit, taking some of that edge off, taking some of Triple's Alley away, I don't think that's a bad thing. At first I was like, no, you know, I'm a purist and, and you gotta keep it the way it is. And now it's like, okay, when a ball is hit that hard, it should be rewarded. It definitely felt bad, like, because there's like stat cast or whatever, and I would hit a ball, you know, really good, and you would go look, and it would say 99% of the time that's a home run, and, <laughs> and you're out. And you're just like, you know, when it's like exit below and launch angle, and you just like have to wear that and wear that and wear that. So that was what, you know, you had. And I, I am glad that it's it's playing a little better. I do think they should bring that in. It's a little, little out of balance, as they say. But another thing that, you know, you had mentioned that I wanted to hit on before we finish here at the podcast is let's talk about counts and let's talk about the things that are going on right now with OPS and different counts. Because I always, there's all sorts of like weird stats and thoughts on ways to approach different counts and what's going on there. So I was pretty interested in what you had to say before the podcast. Mike Petriello, just a really, really good baseball analyst. He's over at MLB.com. He is just showing that now first pitch swinging is up. First pitch OPS is up. This is just, you know, batters are attacking that first pitch. And it's a new sort of phenomenon because it used to be, okay, you want to get that 1-0 count. You want to work that count. You want to get into your hitter's pitch or hitter's count. But now it seems like your hitter's count might be... Oh, oh, does that track with how you approach it? You know, like I was a first pitch swinger and I was a free swinger and I was an aggressive swinger. I wish that I was a more disciplined hitter. And I think that there is a lot of power in working the count and like working a pitcher. And it's like it, it takes a huge chip off of the pitcher. The deeper you can get into a count and get on base because you can wear a pitcher out and that's when big innings happen. So it's kind of like. You know, you're building a house, it's brick by brick, and you build a great inning by like laying good brick after good brick after good brick. And sure, you know, one pitch, you hit a double, whatever, but the pitcher still, now he's got a runner on base, whatever. You know, one pitch, one out, even if the OPS is higher, is a huge, like those quick innings. And that that punishes, let's say your pitcher had this long inning and needs a rest, and you, you know, you take a high leverage swing and you get out in one pitch the time of possession is kind of a thing in baseball. And like the longer the defense is standing out there, the harder it gets for a lot of these kids to focus. And a lot of times you just, you get more tired. So this is why I think that there's so much to dive into this. 
I wish that I didn't swing as, as many first pitches, but I don't like a pitcher ever having a free pitch because a lot of times they'll just cruise the first one down the middle thinking that you're taking. Now, we know that pitchers, uh, the velocity is going up, up, up. But anecdotally, it feels like I re- remember watching pitchers and when a young pitcher came up from the minors, they could hardly throw strikes. I mean, just throwing strikes. If you talk about command versus control, the control part is just getting the ball anywhere in the zone. And it felt like back in the day, pitchers had a tougher time doing that. Are pitchers better at putting the ball where they want to? Is that like you can measure velocity, but are pitchers, it seems to me like pitchers are just better about throwing strikes when they want with any pitch and any count. Does that play into it? So I think there's a lot of things about then versus now is one, I think, first of all, the biomechanics and the science of pitching is a lot better. So these kids are a lot more tuned when they get to the big leagues now. But I also think, and I've heard that they started using the major league ball in AAA versus where they didn't used to do that and so they have some experience with the actual same ball before they get to the big leagues because they're used to like remember i told you earlier in the show that the big league ball moves a lot more than the minor league ball back in and and so i think they've changed that so that the pitchers now the ball isn't that much different i think that they have a little bit more science behind the sticky as you said and i don't know if they necessarily have that but they have more science behind the mechanics so these young pitchers are coming up way more polished and way more used to the the baseball and more prepared than they ever were back in the day so i think that answers your question did i miss something no, no, no. I mean, that makes sense because it feels like if you're saying, well, what do you mean you can't measure? What about walk rates? You can measure walk rates from one year to an, to the next. But I don't think that gives you the accurate reading because baseball now, if you can't throw a changeup in a 3-1 count, you might not be in the major leagues. And that is something that is fairly new. I don't, you know, 3-1 count used to be the fastball count. You would be a, a you know, a reliever would be a fastball, a sinker slider guy. And in 3-1, well, you could maybe not look for that slider. Forget that now. Is that different? Did you notice that from when you were a rookie to, you know, when when you were playing last year? Well, I will say this. When you're pitching to big league hitters, you don't ever want to have a pitcher on the mound where he can be pinned on a pitch. If you can pin a rookie, like say it's a rookie pitcher, it's his first outing or something. And let's say, you know, he gets behind in the count. And the catcher's like, you have to throw a fastball here because you haven't proven you can throw an off speed for a strike. Well, now the a big league hitter has just pinned you on a certain pitch. You have to have the confidence to call an off-speed pitch and when you're behind in the count with the game on the line or else, like you said, you aren't going to be able to compete at the highest level because big league hitters, if they can just pin you on one pitch, you're going to get punished. So you have to show the confidence and everyone will be like, oh, he's scared. He threw an off-speed. But it actually takes more confidence to throw an off-speed pitch behind in the count because as soon as you walk someone with that, it looks really bad. So like to have the confidence to do that, and I think teams are are now, instead of being like, oh, you were scared, they're more encouraging it. Like you have to be able to throw off speed behind in the count to get back into the count because then the pitcher, the hitter no longer can pin you on one pitch. So it's a mental game and it's a statement pitch. And I think that's one thing that you want to have your minor leaguers like, hey, we want you to be able to have confidence in throwing your off speed for a strike before we bring you up to the big leagues because you need to have that weapon or else you're just trapped. 
So that's totally the game now. What I'm curious about is how do like freaks like Kenley Jansen uh, work? Like how do these guys who you sort of know what's coming, you know, Jake McGee, you kind of can sit on a fastball, but he's still getting out. How does that work? It's a deceptive and it's a powerful pitch. I mean, Mariano Rivera threw one pitch and it's just moving and it's different than anything and it comes out of their hand very funny. It's just a plus pitch. When you have a super plus pitch, it's just hard to hit even if you know it's coming. So I mean, if you have a rookie that has that plus pitch that even if you know what's coming, then by all means, let it fly. But that's very rare and few and far between. Yeah, no, I'm always fascinated by the pitchers who can do that. Just have, you know, Kenley Jansen, he comes up and it's a cutter. And yeah, they're they're moving different ways. But at the same time, like, it's always just fascinating to me. Real quick before we go, how did you do against uh, Mariano Rivera in your career? I have it pulled up here. I just want to know how you think you did. I don't think I got any hits. I think I was like 0 for 3 or 0 for... I think I was like the last out of his career or something or like or his last home game or something. I might have hit into a double play. <laughs> you were 0 for 3 with two strikeouts and a double play. You had that nailed. You remembered facing the Hall of Famer. Yeah, it was nasty. It was very nasty. Yeah. All right. Well, this has... I don't mean to end it on a down note. You want to talk about a hitter you crushed? No, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't I don't need to relive the glory days. We can make fun of Hunter here. <laughs> Plenty of pitchers uh, dominated me, that's for sure. All right. Well, this has been episode 11 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week and we'll, uh, we'll chat about baseball because that's what we do here. Thanks so much for listening. I love coffee! Ha, 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 ha!